Amen. And now I know this is probably, you know, not a very high percentage here at Sunrise. You probably heard stories about people making bad decisions in life that they regret, right? You know, like KFC, Popeyes, all those. You know, that's not right. I'm sure that's those weird people way down south. None of us, right, have ever done, yeah, whatever, okay? But unfortunately, I think we can uh, agree that unfortunately, sometimes in life, it's, even as Christians, man, we, we make decisions that we regret, okay? And uh, so apparently, though, I've come across some uh, uh, news that some people make not just bad decisions, but they're so bad. They're so bad that even their animals get upset with them. Seriously, right? And I'm not making this up. Watch what this guy did when he decided and watch what his animals do in return. I'm not making this up. This is a real video. Let's take a look. Lucy, come here. We need to talk. Lucy, come here. I've got, I've got to tell you something. Are you ready? Sit. Sit. I'm sorry to tell you this. Your daddy, your daddy voted for Biden. Turn to somebody and say, good doggy, good doggy. All right. How many of you guys want one of those dogs? I'll take a fleet of them. I got to hand them out to a bunch of people. But anyway, that's right. Uh, but isn't that crazy? Man, you make a bad decision. Your dog's good. He knows better, right? Now, here's what's crazy. As wild as that is, okay, even the animals know something, right? Uh, as wild as that is, did you know that that's going to happen in mass on the planet in the seven-year tribulation? God is going to use the animals to judge people for their bad decision. Right? I didn't say he did. Watch this, Revelation 6, verse 8. And I looked. This is the first half of the seven-year tribulation. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was falling close behind him. Watch this. They were given a power over the fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and the what? The wild beast, part of the judgment of God. In just the first half, one-fourth of the earth is annihilated in the seven-year tribulation, the first half. And part of that judgment is what? God will sick the animals on them, chase them down and take them out for their what? Bad decision. And obviously, what was that bad decision? You know what it is because they're in the seven-year tribulation. They chose apparently to mock and scoff at the news of the rapture and their need to get saved through the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And they said, no. And because of that bad decision, one day, the animals are gonna take them out. Isn't that wild, right? And hey, folks, that's not a place you wanna be. And that's why we're gonna continue our study. Are you ready for the rapture? Okay. And again, this is that study I called where the rubber meets the road, man. You can get all kinds of things wrong in life, right? You could, you could vote for you-know-who. How about those gas prices, right? But man, whatever you do, man, don't get eternity wrong, right? And that's what we've been seeing. Seven things so far about the rapture to help people get ready for it. That was the basis of the rapture, the importance of the rapture, the purpose of the rapture, the reward for the rapture, the timing of the rapture, the objections to the pre-trib rapture, because that's what the Bible teaches we saw. Okay, and then last time, the problematic positions with the rapture, starting with the post-trib position. As you can see there, she's reading the Bible with the post-trib position, encourage one another with these words. No, that's not what you get with the post-trib position. That's what you're doing. You ain't encouraged, you're discouraged. Why? Because they say you're going to be here all the way through the seven-year tribulation. And then there you go, there's your blessed hope. And as we saw, that's not just the polar opposite of what the Bible teaches. Uh, it's completely wrong, right? Now, let's just review. Here's what the Bible teaches, what we hold to, the pre-trib, not because we're escapists, we just don't want to deal with suffering. No, it's what the Bible teaches, and here's what we got coming. The rapture is an imminent event, meaning it could happen at any moment, even today. There's no prophetic sign that needs to happen for that event to take place. It's imminent. And then after the rapture, Daniel 9.27 kicks in, the Antichrist makes a covenant with the people of Israel. Bang, that's the event that starts Daniel's 70th week, the final week of his 70th prophecy. That's why it's a seven-year tribulation. So that's what starts. You go all the way through. And then at the very end, Revelation 19, the second coming of Jesus Christ, we come back with him. And then shortly after that, sets up the millennial kingdom. That's the pre-trib, pre-meal position that the Bible teaches. Post-trib, completely polar opposite. Here's what they say you got to look forward to. Not only are you going to go through some and half, three quarters, all the way through the seven-year tribulation, and hey, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Seven years of somehow you could somehow survive all those atrocities. Hey, there you go. That's the post-trib position. As we saw, that's not just uh, completely polar opposite of our position, which we base on the scripture, the pre-trib. But it's got some serious biblical problems, right? We saw that they place the church under the wrath of God, which the scripture is very clear we're not. They state that the tribulation saints are going to be protected. Last time I checked, getting slaughtered like flies and getting your heads chopped off. Not good protection going on, 
okay, as we saw there. They replace Israel with the church and they destroy, hello, common sense, the purpose of the rapture. Paul says it not just once, but he says it twice we saw, encourage one another with these words. Last time I checked, if I'm going through not just one year, a nanosecond, any part of the seven-year tribulation, let alone all seven years of it, as they, that doesn't encourage me, it discourages me. The exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. Unfortunately, they got all kinds of problems. We're going to take a look at some more. It just goes downhill, right? Because you're disagreeing with the scripture, unfortunately, and you need to submit to the word of God. The fifth problem is they confuse the rapture with the time of God's judgment, okay? And you see the post-tribbers, if you were here last week, we saw that they do all kinds of things. They take things out of context, right? You just want the church to be in there, so you squeeze it. That's not how you interpret the scripture. They take it out of context. Now, we saw last week, uh, they try to say that the audience that's mentioned in Matthew 24 and the word elect there is referring to the church. But if you were here, we saw clearly it's not the church. Contextually, it's Israel. Matthew 24 is not dealing with the church, but Israel. The, that's Matthew 24. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. The, the church wasn't even born. Actually, the church wasn't even around. Right? But anyway, so, we saw, so they misquote the elect and they say, well, that's the church. Then we saw they misquote the word saint. Remember that? There's four different saints mentioned in the Bible. And they say the saints that are mentioned in the seven-year tribulation is the church. No, it's not. Contextually, it's those who get saved after the rapture. Now, what we're going to see with this one is they make a second mistake in Matthew 24. Not only say that it applies to the church when the church wasn't even in existence, but they want to say that at the very end of the seven-year tribulation, when it talks about one person being taken and one left, that that's the rapture of the church. That's our position. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, at the second coming, there it is, post-trip. That passage is not dealing with the rapture. It's dealing with the angel harvest in preparation for the millennium. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's, right? Misquoted passage. And I'm excited to get to this because even so-called pre-tribbers sometimes, unfortunately, will quote this as a rapture passage, and it's not. And that really opens up the can of worms that, well, then you're saying the church is in here when the church is not. But let's take a look at that passage. Once again, they misquote out of context, Matthew 24, 29 through 41. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. Again, Jesus speaking, the coming he's talking about is not the rapture, the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. But notice what takes place at the very end, okay? The post-tribbers got the timing right, but they got the audience wrong. They got the event wrong. Let's take a look there. Verse 29 says this, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At the time, the son of man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer's near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near. Again, all the things you've been leading up through the seven-year tribulation that he talked about prior, okay, then what's near? The second coming, right, at the very end. He says, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation, what generation? The generation of Jewish people that will be in the seven-year tribulation who are experiencing these things will what? Certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Why will they not pass away? Because God is not done with Israel. He always has a remnant. He's gonna save one-third because he's promised the promises that have yet to be filled in the millennial kingdom. So they're not gonna pass away. There's gonna be a Jewish remnant, right? And then he goes on. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, uh, but my words will not pass away. And he says, no one knows about that day nor the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun, but only the father. But here's the sign. As it was in the days of Noah, it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it's gonna be at the coming of the son of man. And here it is at the very end. Two men will be in the field. Uh-oh. One will be taken and the other left. Oh, no. Two women will be grinding at the hand mill. <gasps> One will be taken and the other left. You can be seated if you can with that dramatic voice I'm making. It's going to be a challenge because as we all know, oh, no, we just saw it right there with our own eyes. The rapture is at the end of the seven-year tribulation, right at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're doomed. That's the rapture. We're all the way to the end. No, it's not. Now, that's what the post-tribber would misquote, just like the word elect which has nothing to do with the church, it's Israel. Just like the saints, taken out of context, it's not the church, it's those that get saved afterwards. It's the same thing here. This event is not the rapture of the church, okay? This is what's called the angel harvest that happens. Yes, you got the timing right, but you got the event wrong. 
It's the angel harvest when God sends out his angels to separate those who are still alive, albeit a few, in preparation for the millennium. You got the one-third Jewish remnant. You got the uh, any Gentiles that got saved after the rapture in the seven-year tribulation who didn't get slaughtered and heads chopped off. Yeah, a few of them. Not many, but a few. And then you got the ones that still didn't turn to Jesus. The wicked, the unbelieving. Well, they're not going to go into the millennial kingdom. So what are you going to do with all those people on the planet? And it's all across the planet. So what's God do? He sends out his what? Angels, and he separates them, right? In fact, what you see is these people, and this is why I tell people, oh, you got to store up this stuff. And, and this is what these guys teach that put the church in the seven-year tribulation. You forget the blessed hope. It's the blessed hurry up and buy survival gear, right? And you got this, and you got to be all this, and you got to do this, and, all that, and somehow you're going to survive. Listen, even if you know, people are, I don't need Jesus. I, I can survive. I'm going to build a bug out shelter. I'll survive all. Listen, even if, listen, this is what the scripture teaches. Even if somehow you sit there and still mock and scoff and you don't need to get saved and you're going to be the ultimate survivor and somehow survive all the planetary chaos and judgment from God for seven years nonstop, the scripture is clear. God's watching you and at the very end, he's going to send out his angels and the scripture says these people, he's going to scoop up and send them straight into hell. What a waste of time, resources, energy when you could have got saved now and avoid the whole thing. And see, that's the other thing with these positions. I'm just, your focus is way off, man. You're encouraging people. Right now, you and I should be sharing the gospel. That's our motivation. But these people, it's survival. It's backwards of what the scripture teaches. But this angel harvest, that's what, this is what the event has. It's not the rapture. It's the angel harvest in preparation for the millennium. Now, let me give you a couple of passages because uh, that's not the only place that it talks about Matthew 24. We also see the angel harvest repeatedly in the scripture we know it's not the rapture. It can't be the rapture here because it's talked about also in Revelation 14, Matthew 13, and Matthew 25, the separation of the sheep and the goats. Let's take a look at those passages. They're all speaking of the same time frame, not the rapture, the angel harvest at the end of the seven-year tribulation, preparing for the millennium. Revelation 14, I looked and there before me was a white cloud. Seated on the cloud was one like the son of the man, son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was seated on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time of reap has to come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And it's being done by the angels. That's why it's called the angel harvest, right? So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Let's take a look. Same event in another passage right here, Matthew 13, 36 to 43. Then he left the crowd, Jesus, he goes into the house. His disciples come to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field, right? So here's what Jesus said. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom, millennium kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The what? Harvest is the end of the age. What's the end of the age? At the end of the seven-year tribulation, they're going to begin a new age, the millennial age, the millennial kingdom, right? And the harvesters are what? The angels. Again, do you see the consistency? Same event, angel harvest, and here's what's going to happen. The weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age, the end of the seven-year tribulation. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they'll what? Weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. Why? Because you ain't going into the millennial kingdom, right? They will throw them where? They go straight into hell. Wow, isn't this wild? Into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, you better listen up. You better pay attention. This is coming. And let me give you just one more real quick. Matthew 25, 31 through 34, 41 and 46 says this. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the what? Angels, there it is again, with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Why? Because he's getting ready for the millennial kingdom. There's, there's saved and unsaved still on the planet. So he's going to separate them, right? He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the what? The kingdom, the millennial kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he's gonna say to those on the left, once again, they go straight into hell. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous go to where? eternal life. Now notice in all these events, I'm not making this up. This is not some convenient form of escapism. You just came up with this weird angel harvest thing to try to explain. No. The scripture defines it as the angel harvest. I'm not making this term up. 
That's why we call it that, because the Bible calls it that. But notice in every single one of these, it's not only dealing with the angel harvest, which is not the rapture. It's a completely, totally different event. But notice there's what? Two different audiences in all those passages. And that's what, again, he's talking about. He's talking about one audience, the elect, as mentioned in Matthew 24, Israel, right? And then the wicked or the goats or the weeds, those who did not turn to God, still gonna be alive. And it's the giant separation event in preparation for the millennial kingdom, right? So it's not the same event. You can't say that this is a rapture passage in Matthew 24 and it proves the post-trib position because it's at the end. You got the timing right. You got the audience, the event wrong, contextually, right? But also we know it can't be referring to the rapture at this time because the rapture, when it happens, we get what? Resurrected bodies. We lose the sin nature. In fact, the, the, the Bible says that when we get raptured, okay, and we go to heaven, uh, the scripture says that we get to be like the angels. And so if this was a rapture passage, uh, then, uh, and I'm going to be like the angels in heaven, then I, why do I need the angels to take me there? I could just fly like the angels, right? And, and again, I'm not making this up. This is what Matthew 22, 30 says. After the resurrection, right, which you get a resurrected body at the rapture, right, people will what? Neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will what? Be like the angels in heaven. Now, you know, for some people, this would be a bummer news. Some people, try not to get too excited, might be some good news. But when we get to heaven, no matter how long you've been married, right? Uh, you'll know each other, but we're not going to be like that anymore. It's going to be different. Our focus is solely on Jesus Christ. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. That's our focus. I, I'm convinced we'll know each other, right? And, and of course, in my house, you know, we, we often say that, well, hopefully we're at least in the same apartment complex, <laughs> right? And you smart men sitting there should say the same thing. <laughs> For some of you, you're, you're secretly out going, I hope we're in a whole different state, you know, but whatever. But hey, let's not go there. We have a marriage study online. You can watch it called The Marriage Built to Last. And, you might want to check that out. But anyway, but here's my point. So we're at, at the rapture, we get resurrected bodies. We're like the angels. Why do I need angels to transfer me? And when, when it, it doesn't make sense. But let's give you more specific. Uh, we also know that this is not speaking of the rapture. Rather, it's the angel harvest, two totally different events. Uh, because uh, Matthew 13 says the angels uh, will not only gather the elect, but also the wicked. Okay? So last time I checked, Who's the only ones that go in the rapture? Just the righteous, not the wicked. So how could you say that this event is the rapture when both get caught up or picked up by the angels? doesn't make sense. You know why? Because it's not the same event. Let me give you another proof. Third, uh, did you know that both the wicked and the righteous cannot take, be taken first? And yet the scripture is very clear who goes first. Right? If you look at the real rapture passage that really does talk about the rapture, it says that the righteous go first. Let's remind ourselves of that. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ, Christians who already who got saved, but they died, who, who goes first? Them. The righteous go first. And then after that, we who are still alive will be caught up, harpazo, rapture, together with them, to meet the, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. So, so we're hard on their heels. And then what? We will be with the Lord forever. So in the real rapture passage, it's very clear. It's the born again Christian, i.e. the righteous, who go first. But if you read these other passages that they say is referring to the rapture, it's not, it's the angel harvest. Those passages say the wicked go first. So not only do they have two audiences to be taken in a supposed rapture when it's only one, they got their order in reverse, right? You're making a contradiction in the scripture. Last time I checked, that's a sign you're getting it wrong. God doesn't contradict himself. Here's what Matthew 13, speaking of the angel harvest says, let both grow together until the what? Harvest, two audiences. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, who's the first one they take? The weeds. The weeds are what? Not the righteous, unrighteous. And tie them in bundles to be burned right? Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. This is how it'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the who? The wicked from the righteous. So here's your contradiction that's made by the post-tribber. Who goes first if the rapture and the angel harvest are the same like they would have you and I believe? Uh, the Bible says the real rapture uh, that we can, I just 
clarify First Thessalonians 4, we all know that's a rapture. Uh, it says the righteous go first, but these passages say the wicked go first. Again, that's called a contradiction. That's a, that's a very good clue that you're getting it wrong because God doesn't contradict himself. The only way to reconcile these passages is to admit they're not speaking of the same event. And you know why? Because they're not. They try to take a passage dealing with an event called the angel harvest at the end of the seven-year tribulation. They got the timing right. It's at the end, but they got the event wrong. It's not the rapture. It can't be the rapture. And that's what they used to justify that, yep, we go all the way through the seven-year tribulation, and at the very end, we just go, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit at all. As you and I as Christians, we need to agree with the scripture. And again, anytime you come up with a contradiction, it's a sign you got it wrong, right? So you need to change your position, okay, uh, is, is what's going on here. But unfortunately, uh, that's not all. The sixth problem is they confuse the rapture with this event called the day of the Lord. Okay, the day of the Lord, and this is another huge mistake. And what they want to do is they want to link this biblical phrase, the day of the Lord, which contextually, as we saw before, the day of the Lord is a specific day of the Lord. Now, it's not talking about one day. It's talking about a day where basically the day of the Lord, Old and New Testament, talks about it starts at the seven-year tribulation and then moves forward. The reason why we know this day of the Lord starts at the seven-year tribulation is because Old and New Testament describes the day of the Lord, amongst other things, not only is it a time of God's judgment, it's a time when he pours out his wrath, right? And as we saw before, when does God's wrath start? We saw that easily contextually from the very beginning of the seven-year tribulation and then goes for the next seven years. So the day of the Lord is the day of God's wrath. So therefore, biblically, contextually, when does it start? It has to start at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation because it's a day of wrath and then goes forward right? That's what the Bible defines as that. Now, here's the problem. How could you sit there and say that the day of the Lord, okay, is in conjunction with the rapture when the day of the Lord is involving God's wrath? And again, how many times have we seen we're not appointed unto God's wrath? So that means we can't be a part of this event called the day of the Lord, right? Is the first obvious point. But again, rather than uh, admit that that's creating another contradiction in scripture, they persist. And did you know that it's actually this position that Christians are going to be in the day of the Lord, i.e. the seven-year tribulation, was the reason why Paul had to write 2 Thessalonians in the first place? Yeah. If you read the Bible, that's exactly what's going on. It's just, they don't call it, maybe they called it post-trib back then, I don't know. But Paul dealt with this lie that Christians are going to be in the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation, and he had to correct it. As we saw, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, right? Rapture. He had to write 2 Thessalonians because after he left, false teachers came in and said, nope, you're going to be in that day of the Lord. And they were freaking out. And this is why Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians, right? He had to correct the what? An error, a lie, a false teacher. And they were telling Christians, you're going to be left behind in the seven-year tribulation, the day of the Lord. And that's what he says here, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 5, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, the rapture, these guys... Paul taught it clearly, they understood it, and then here come some false teachers and confuse them. Now, concerning the rapture, the coming of the Lord, being gathered to him, we ask your brothers not to become what? Easily unsettled, they were freaking out, or alarmed by some prophecy. You know, God told me to tell you, to tell me, to tell you, to tell, tell. That goes on today, doesn't it? Or a report or a letter. You know what Paul really meant was this, and I got some secret Bible code that told me that this hidden book in the Bible told me the rapture. They would dealt with this 2,000 years ago, folks. By some prophecy report letter supposed to have come from us saying what? The day of the Lord. What's that? Seven-year tribulation moving forward. So basically saying, here was the lie, saying the seven-year tribulation had what? Already come. What's the next word from Paul? Don't let anyone what? Deceive you in any way. Why? Because that day, not the rapture, what day is he talking about? The day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation moving forward. That day, the seven-year tribulation will not come until what? The rebellion occurs, and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. When's he revealed? When will people know, technically, if they study the Bible, and that's the problem, they don't, but when will people know for sure, without a guess, not like, it's Ronald Reagan Wilson, because haven't you broken out the calculator? Ronald, six letters. Wilson, six letters. Reagan, six letters. And all this other stuff, right? No, you're going to know for sure. You don't have to wonder, not have to guess, because somebody told me to tell you. To... As soon as he makes that covenant with Israel, 
That's what starts the seven-year event. That's when he's revealed. And that's why Paul says the seven-year tribulation cannot happen until what? The man of lawlessness is revealed. That's when he's revealed. We're out of here prior to that. But these guys are saying, oh, no, no, it's already happened. You're in it. And so Paul says, no, it can't be. Don't be deceived. And, and the Antichrist, he's the man doomed to destruction. He'll oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up into God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's the midway point, the abomination of desolation. And I love this. Paul says to the church, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell thee these things? Can I translate that for you in the Chrome vernacular? Hello, McFly. We already went through this. That's why I wrote First Thessalonians. I already told you, not just the rapture, First Thessalonians 4. I told you in First Thessalonians 1 and the chapter afterwards, First Thessalonians 5, you're not going into that time of wrath, the day of the Lord. Why are you giving in to these false teachers? You can hear them say, like, I can't believe this guy. Hello? We've already gone over this. You're not going to be there. Listen, stop listening. Don't be deceived by these false teachers. Paul says 2,000 years ago saying you're in the seven-year tribulation. It's the same thing these other positions are doing. And according to the Bible, you know what God would say to you today, Christian? Stop listening to these false teachers on the internet, other churches, wherever they're at, saying the church is going to be in there. That's what the Bible says. Oh, you're just, you just don't want to suffer. You're not like the rest of us spiritually proud people. Who we can make it, we can suffer. Last time I checked, spiritual pride is not something you want to emulate. But the Bible tells me to reject your position. Because Paul dealt with it 2,000 years ago. Unfortunately, it's happening again today. And dare I say the timing, we're that close to the rapture, folks. And what are people doing when we're that close to it, when Paul first talked about it, the same lie. You're going to be in there. You're left behind. It's crazy. The seventh problem with the post-trib position is it confuses the rapture with the second coming, right? We saw that at the very end, the angel harvest, they want to say, that's the rapture because that's your blessed hope. Woo-hoo, right? Make it all the way to seven years and you just go, and they want to say, it's just the one event. The, The rapture and the second coming is one thing. No, it's not. As we saw before, folks, you can't say that if you read the Bible, which last time I checked, you probably should, especially if you're a Christian. Let's take a look at these differences again. The, the rapture and the second coming are not the same event, right? Let's just review. Christ comes in the air at the rapture, according to the Bible. The second coming, he comes back to the earth, right? The rapture, Christ comes for his saints. Second coming, Christ comes with his saints, right? At the rapture, believers are taken away. Second coming, unbelievers are taken away. They get cast into hell. So we just saw the angel harvest. Rapture, Christ claims his bride. Second coming, Christ comes back with his bride. We'll see that in a second. Rapture, Christ gathers his own. Second coming, the angels gather the elect. Uh, Rapture, Christ comes to reward. At the second coming, he comes to judge. At the rapture, it's imminent. It can happen. Uh, The second coming, it's at the end of the seven-year tribulation. We've got the whole seven-year tribulation that's got to take place before that can happen. The seals, the the trumpets, the bowls, the whole thing, right? Totally different event. Uh, The rapture was only revealed in the New Testament. It was a mystery. The second coming is revealed both in Old and New Testament. The rapture again was a mystery. The second coming was foretold. The rapture, the Mount of Olives is unchanged. Second coming is divided. At the rapture, it's a time of blessing and comfort. Encourage one of these. Uh, The second coming, it's a time of destruction and judgment, right? The rapture only involves believers. The second coming involves Israel and Gentile nations because Christ is going to be separating them preparing for the millennial kingdom. Uh, the rapture uh, occurs in the blink of an eye. As, as we saw, it, the, the second coming is what? It's visible to the entire world, right? Two totally different events. The rapture, the seven-year tribulation begins after that. Well, the second coming, it's over the seven-year tribulation. Now the millennium begins. It's two totally different events. The rapture is believers go into heaven. Second coming, believers return with him from heaven, right? Okay, at the rapture, believers get glorified bodies. At second coming, the elect remain in the same bodies and go into the millennial kingdom, We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the rapture, believers go to the Father's house. The second coming, the elect stay on the earth because they go into the millennial kingdom. At the rapture, Satan remains free, okay? Second coming, guess what? He's bound. That's one of the reasons why the millennial kingdom is so awesome. He's bound for that whole time. And the rapture, the false prophet, and the antichrist are free. But the second coming, we just saw the false prophet, and the antichrist go straight into the lake of fire, right? At the rapture, unbelievers remain on the earth. But the second coming, the angel harvest, the unbelievers go straight into hell. So how in the world could you say these are the same event? That's just 20 differences from the Bible. It's impossible. You can't say that. Okay, and last time I checked as a Christian, uh, we're supposed to line up with this. Okay, it's not, you just don't want to. I reject it because it doesn't agree with the scripture, right? 
It's not the same event. Now, let me give you a couple more proofs and we'll move on to the next unfortunate contradiction with the post-trib position. As you saw there, the second coming is foretold in both the Old and the New Testament. So in theory, put it to the test. If you didn't want to ignore 20 differences right there, then you would think that if the rapture and the second coming were the same event, then we could take a look at other passages dealing with the second coming. And for sure, we should be able to see a rapture in those. Guess what? You don't because they're not the same event. Let me give you just one of each. Revelation 19. This is the most obvious passage in the New Testament, clearly dealing with the second coming of Jesus Christ. You tell me if you see a rapture in this event, right? Revelation 19, 11 through 21. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns, obviously speaking of Jesus. He's got a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. And the who? The armies of heaven are what? Zipping up his way? No, they're what? They're following him. So that's the church, folks, with the angels. And where's our position? Are we zipping up? No, we're already in heaven coming back down with him. That's consistent with the pre-trib position, right? And they're riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, is, his name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out and a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come together for the great supper of God so that he may eat the flesh of kings and, and generals and mighty men and of horses and the riders and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. And then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and him, the false prophet who performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them with, uh, were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Because <laughs> obviously the rapture was all over that. Because as they say, the rapture and the second coming is one and the same. Isn't that encouraging? It's ridiculous. In fact, what did we see in the second coming? We didn't see the church going up. What did we see? The exact opposite. Church is coming back down, right? From heaven that you've been in there prior to the tribulation. It's consistent with the scripture. That's what the scripture is. Now that's just the, the uh, New Testament. Let's just, to be fair, let's take a look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament it's a big prophesied event, the second coming of the Messiah to set up the promised millennial kingdom. That was part of God's uh, uh, promise to David. One will sit on from your lineage on the throne to govern the whole earth. Obviously, that hasn't happened yet. So it's a prophesied event. So let's take a look at this passage. You tell me if you see a rapture in here, you know, because they say the rapture is not coming, same thing. Zechariah 14, one through nine, the day of the Lord, there's your first clue. We're not a part of the day of the Lord. But anyway, the day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. And the city will be captured. The houses ransacked and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north, half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley for it is, uh, will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come with all his holy ones, the angels, with him, and on that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. And on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western sea in the summer and in winter. The Lord, listen, will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name and only his name. And I don't know about you, but there's the blessed hope. It's all over there. You saw the church mentioned there. You saw us clearly going up and you saw us going, hey, this is great. Come on back down. Did you see that there? I didn't see that there. Now, first of all, I didn't see the church mentioned. And you know why the church wasn't mentioned? Because that's Old Testament. As we saw before, the church wasn't even born until Acts chapter two and the church was a mystery. And the Bible even says that the Old Testament prophets had no knowledge of the church. So he couldn't be writing to the church. He didn't even know about the church, number one. Number two, you don't see the word church mentioned in nothing of that. But again, what did he say? All you saw was what? 
the holy ones with Jesus. And what were they doing? Well, that's the church. No, it's not. It's the angels. But even if you want to say it's the church, what, what, what was their position? They're in heaven coming back. There's no, there's no going up at all. And, and, and that's why we reject this, folks. It's not just it disagrees with the scripture. It makes mishmash of the scripture. It creates contradictions in the scripture. And last time I checked, that's why you got to reject that, okay? And again, you, you know, people say, well, uh, uh, you know, that's just an argument from silence. But one guy says this. He says, listen, some may call this an argument from silence, but this silence speaks loudly. This is the biggest event in the history of the church, i.e. the rapture, when millions of people are going to be resurrected, which happens at the rapture, and you see zero mention of it in passages dealing with the second coming, like Revelation 19 and Zechariah 14. Why? Because it's not the same thing. They're two totally different events, two totally different time frames. You just want the church to be there, and so you're cherry-picking, taking things out of context, right? There is no people in the second coming going up. All you see is the church coming down and the elect going into the millennial kingdom. That's all you get if you read the scripture, which I highly recommend. Let me give you another one real quick. The eighth problem is that it creates a problem with the millennial population, okay? As if you haven't seen enough contradictions before, uh, unfortunately, we've got some more. The post-trib position creates a major mega problem with the millennial population, and they can't fix because you can't fix wrong. The only way you fix wrong is you go back to what is right. right? And here's the problem. Right? The Bible's very clear about the millennial kingdom. As we saw at the angel harvest, you've got two groups of people, right? Righteous, unrighteous. Sheep, the goats. The weeds, right? The wheat, Right? and representing two groups of people, again, according to the scripture. So when Jesus comes back at the second coming, us, as we saw with him, in preparation for the millennial kingdom, you got righteous and unrighteous on the planet. Obviously, the unrighteous cannot go into the millennial kingdom. Angels come, scoop them up, throw them straight into hell, right? In preparation for that. But it also talks about there, though, the righteous, Israel, the one-third remnant, and any uh, believing Gentiles at that point who are still left alive. Now, here's the deal. The millennial kingdom says it's going to be a time when People are going to marry and have babies. In fact, they repopulate the planet because it's going to be decimated after seven-year tribulation. Well, as we saw before, when the rapture happens and we get resurrected bodies, we're like the angels. We're not going to have babies. You know, maybe that, that same apartment complex. <laughs> but we're not, it's, not, it's going to be different, right? We're not, going to be, we're not going to be procreating, right? Our focus is going to be on our heavenly groom, Jesus. Right, and another thing that happens at the rapture is we get not only glorified bodies, and so that means we're not going to be having babies. But yet it says there that they're going to populate. So how how's that going to happen if nobody's got a normal natural body? But the other thing he says at the end, Revelation twenty, at the end of the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a rebellion, and people are going to align, believe it or not, with Satan and rebel against Christ. Well, last time I checked, you have to have a sin nature to rebel. But what happens when we get rapture? That's part of why it's so awesome getting a new resurrected body. We lose the sin nature. So according to the post-trib position, if it happens at the very end, you get raptured, who's left with a normal body to repopulate the millennial kingdom? Do you see the problem? It makes mishmash out of the scripture. It ruins it. One guy puts it this way. He says, listen, the Bible teaches that when Christ returns to the earth to establish his millennial kingdom for a thousand years, listen, Old Testament saints, church age saints, tribulation saints who died during the seven-year tribulation, we will be there at the millennial kingdom, but with glorified bodies. But believers who come to faith during the seven-year tribulation, the tribulation saints, not the church, and who are still alive at the second coming, albeit a few, but still some, these are the people who will enter the millennial kingdom with normal natural bodies. And it is they who will carry on the ordinary occupations that we see described in the Bible about this time frame called the millennial kingdom. They will be the ones farming and building houses. They will be the ones, quote, bearing children and repopulating the messianic kingdom, Isaiah 65. But here's the problem. If, as post-trivers say, all the saints are caught up at the second coming, okay, uh, then that means who is going to enter the millennial kingdom with a normal, natural body? Because according to their position, everybody would already have a glorified body because you get that at the rapture. And therefore, there would not be anybody left in natural bodies to repopulate the kingdom. You get it? It messes the whole thing up. So if the rapture happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation, as they believe, there's no normal bodies, not just for repopulation, but because you have a normal body, when, just like today, we have a normal body. And unfortunately, 
when two people with a normal body have a baby, what does that baby get? A sin nature. And we all know that when our kids are born, they're perfect. I don't know about you. Maybe I was in the wrong aisle at Walmart when it all went down. But the kids I got, did you know? Love you guys right there. Hey, give it up for Rebecca and Billy right here in public. That's right. You guys are awesome, awesome kids. Maybe, but maybe it was just my kids. I'm sure not with yours. You know, it's, it's just us who was in that wrong aisle at Walmart. But did, did you guys, did you guys get those kids that uh, you, you, you had to, you literally had to teach them to say no, Right? Or did it come naturally? Like when you ask him to do something, it's like, oh, absolutely, I'm a perfect child. What else would you like me to do, mom and dad? No, I didn't get one of those either, right? That's just in nature. You know, our world wants to say, oh, they just learned that. No, from birth. I don't know about you. This was not my kids. I didn't teach my kids to, when another kid comes up to them and they took their toy Maybe your kid did this. Oh, please take more. What did they do? What was the knee-jerk reaction? I didn't teach them a class. Here's how to not share. And we went through that class for 14 weeks so they could learn not to share. No, it was already there. And then it wasn't just not share. Then they proceeded to beat them over the head, right, with the Lincoln Logs, right? And you're trying to hide as a parent, right? And then they go over there, and then they straddle that kid, sit on his head. And again, it was not my kid's. But, well, okay, and here's the point. When you have a natural body, okay, and two people, male and female, come together in a natural body, you're going to produce that, right? Guess what? Post-trib destroys that. Because if you are raptured at the second coming, then guess what? You've got a glorified body because that happens at the rapture. There's nobody left alive on the planet, according to them, who can have babies, and you're certainly not going to have a baby with the sin nature. So who is it that rebels? And that's important because I get phone calls and emails from people. Uh, man, Pastor Billy, I'm so excited about the rapture. And, and I'm glad that, you know, I'm not going to the seven-year tribulation, but I'm still concerned about one thing. The Bible says at the very end of the millennial kingdom that there's going to be a final rebellion. I hope I'm not one of those. You can't be. Right? But think about it. Because at the rapture, praise God, we lose the sin nature. I'm never going to rebel against God again. Isn't that a blessed hope? But guess what? Post-trib ruins that. Nope, nope. You could very well be a part of that. It's, it's crazy. So again, that's another reason why uh, I reject it. But let me give you one more and we'll close. Uh, the ninth one is it creates a problem with the millennial separation, right? Not only the population, okay, but post-trib destroys the separation, right? Let's go back to that passage we saw with the separation, the angel harvest in preparation for the millennium and see what's going on there. And then let's compare their belief system to that event. Matthew 25, 31 through 34, 41, 46 says this, when the son of man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Why? Because there's still people, elect, wicked, still alive. And now he's got to separate them because the wicked aren't going to go into the little kingdoms. Common sense. And he'll separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, millennial kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then he's going to say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to where? Eternal life. Now here's the problem. As we saw, this passage is dealing with the angel harvest. God separates, albeit a few people left alive at this point, the righteous from the unrighteous, if you will, in preparation for the kingdom. Okay, but the problem is, once again, the post-trib position destroys the ability for this separation to take place. You not only destroy the population, and you destroy the, uh, uh, the answer to who's going to rebel at the end, but there, there's, there's no time for a separation. One guy puts it this way, watch this. He says, the Bible teaches that uh, uh, clearly uh, that when the rapture happens, it's not in conjunction with the second coming, as the post-tribbers say because if that were true, then all living believers are caught up to meet Jesus in the air, and then they come right back down with him to earth. But if that's true, then listen, who are the sheep on earth when Jesus arrives? Right? 
everyone left on earth would only be goats. But what do we see? There's two groups of people, sheep and goats. There wouldn't be any sheep with their position. All the sheep would have been raptured. To state another way, how would you have both saved and unsaved still in their natural bodies? Listen, be separated in judgment at the second coming if all living believers are caught up at the second coming. And furthermore, there would be no need for Jesus to even do a separation, listen, of the sheep and the goats when he gets back to earth because, listen, the rapture would have created that separation. You see it? But if the rapture occurs before the seven-year tribulation, as the Bible teaches, the, seven, uh, the pre-tribulation, then there would be time for people, many people, to come to know the Lord during that seven-year tribulation. And it's these tribulation believers who would be the sheep of Matthew 25 when Jesus comes back. Furthermore, it's important to recognize that when Jesus returns to set up his millennial kingdom, listen, there is no rapture. There is no mentioning of anybody being caught up into the air to meet the Lord. All you see is people coming back down the church who's already been there and then a separation and then those who enter into. That's all you see. Therefore, as he says, the post-trib position makes no logical sense. It's incompatible with the sheep-goat nation judgment and it eliminates two critical end-time events. And guess what? That's a sign you got it wrong. I, I, I'm, I belabor this point because we take so much heat. You guys just don't want to suffer. You just don't want the church. No, I reject your position because I don't see it here at all. And then when I examine your position to this, I see contradiction after contradiction after contradiction after contradiction, and it just keeps adding up. And last time I checked, that's a sign you got it wrong because God doesn't get it wrong. God doesn't contradict himself. That's why I reject it. Unfortunately, the 10th problem is it destroys the meaning of Jesus' wedding. What was that song we just sang? Even so, Lord Jesus, come what? Come get your bride. Now, I don't know about you guys. I've heard of shotgun weddings. I've heard that uh, Vegas can do weddings pretty quick here. But if the post-trib position uh, was true, uh, when do we get to experience our wedding? And is this that great promise from Jesus? Is this what his bride has to look forward to? As he says in John 14, a rapture passage, I go to prepare a place for you. And he's been preparing this wedding for 2,000 years. Can you imagine how awesome this is going to be? Took God six days to create all the heavens and the earth and all its majesty. And, and, and we still find beauty in it. And this is the messed up version after the flood. But he's been preparing this wedding for us, the bride for 2,000. Can you imagine how awesome it's going to be? And so doesn't that just make sense that when it comes time to the wedding, after 2,000 years of preparation, that it's, we go all the way through God's wrath and then we go, <laughs> that's it. How was your wedding? It's ridiculous. But we're out of time. We'll have to deal with that, Lord willing, next time. But once again, are you ready for the rapture? And again, I, I, I beg you, please, in all seriousness, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to get saved. Take this serious. All joking aside, that guy with his dog, he voted for, you know, the whole planet's going to, God amongst, that's just in the first half. One fourth of the earth is going to be annihilated. God isn't going to, listen, you could either have Jesus pay for your sin and be forgiven, or you could say no, and you'll have to pay for it with judgment. Why would you do that? God is even going to send the animals after people. He's watching all this. Scripture says all these people, all these people that are doing the stuff that we're seeing in the news today, the New World Order and all these mandates and all this stuff baloney going, all you're, if you don't get say, all you're doing is storing up the wrath of God. Why would you do that? Get saved now. Avoid the whole thing. But again, if you're here today, yeah, Pastor Bill, I'm a Christian. I are one, right? I'm ready for the rapture. Really? I don't know if you noticed the status of the so-called church today, but it's kind of messed up. Just a wee bit. It's called apostasy. Now, on the one hand, we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible said what was going to happen in the last days. That would happen. I'm not condoning it, but we shouldn't be shocked. But you take a look at what's going on in the church today. They don't teach the word of God. They don't even share the gospel. And so you got millions and millions of people going to church services, but they're not being taught the word of God. They've never even heard the gospel. So are they even saved? Now, here's what's wild. If you read the scripture, which I highly recommend, not only as we just saw today, only a few are going to be left alive on the planet who get to go into the millennial kingdom. 
we're secure because we leave prior. Where would Jesus come back? But only a few. Did you know that apparently, probably not as many people as we think are going to go at the rapture? If you've been here long enough, I've shared several times for illustrations these dramatic rapture videos. And it ends with that scene with that church sanctuary. And the pastor's up there and he's preaching from the Bible. You need to be prepared. The Lord can come back. Remember that one? Boom! Bible drops on the ground. And then you look, and there's about eight people still sitting there in the chairs. And you're going, and that one guy's on his knees. Oh! And you could feel the regret. Oh, no. He got left behind. But you know, if you read the scripture, I think a more accurate visual would be instead of eight people left in the American church, only eight people got to go. See, I didn't say that, Jesus did. And you need to listen to his words. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I mean, they got Christianese coming out, right? Huh? Will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In fact, how many? Just a few, a small aberration? No, the bulk, the many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, I mean, there's a what are we doing? Come on, I was expecting heaven, not this. Didn't we what? Notice what they didn't say. What are we, what are we doing being judged by you? I mean, we trusted solely in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We, 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 we trusted in your grace and forgiveness and mercy. We know that we're not worthy. It's only you. It, it, that's all we trust. No, what they, what they appeal to? Works. And not just works dare I say, Christian works. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Come on, that makes us a Christian. I mean, come on, didn't we? In your name, drive out demons. Didn't we perform miracles? Did you know every single one of those can be counterfeited? And dare I say, is being counterfeited today in the church. Does it make you a Christian? And what's Jesus say? Well, too bad, you got saved, but you lost it. No, because you can't lose your salvation. What's he say? I will tell them plainly, I what? I never knew you. You were fake the whole time. Oh, you had the Christianese. Oh, you were there in the church service. Oh, you may even served and called yourself a prophet of God and did all these things. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The many, not only a few, are going to make it into the millennial kingdom, but how many people are really going to leave at the rapture? I'm convinced we need to flip our numbers around. And frankly, I hope if it were to happen today and it could, this place would be empty. But I don't know your heart. I don't know what you're trusting in. And if you think you're going just because you come to this church or you've tried to be a good person or you serve in this capacity or that, if that's what you're really trusting, you ain't going. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Stop giving him lip service, give him life service, and you need to trust solely in the work of his work on the cross. That's it. You need to be a part. You need to be a part of not the many, but the few. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care how long you've been here. I'm not here to cast out. Praise God, we can have assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. But I don't know your heart. And I know what the scripture teaches. Many are going to be left behind. Many, the bulk of our planet will be in the seven-year tribulation. Many will go to hell. But only a few, really, truly. And it's a hard issue that I can't see, but I know the scripture teaches. Only a few have really, truly Trusted Jesus Christ on the cross and his work alone. And it's not lip service, it's life service. We're not saved by our works, we all know that. But when you're truly born again and dwelled by the spirit of God, something changes. We're not perfect, I'm not perfect. But something's different. You can't be comfortable in sin. You don't want to live. You're convicted. The Holy Spirit's inside of you, but there's no conviction, no nothing. It's just lip service. 
You need to turn to Jesus today. This is not a get a game. Please get saved now. Amen. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. 
And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.